Happy New Year, everybody. Do a little sound check. Can everybody hear me at the back? Good? Perfect. So once again, Happy New Year. Welcome to the first SACPA event of 2020. In fact, the first SACPA event of the new decade. Uh, 52nd year for SACPA doing this fabulous thing they do. Um, I just want to remind everybody that uh, if you could make sure your cell phones are off. I just did that myself. Um, and um, I just want to acknowledge that uh, the events are taking place today on the lands of the Blackfoot people and the Métis Nation of Alberta, Region 3. And we'd like to pay respect to their past, present, and future cultural heritage, beliefs, and relationships to the land. We commit to do our utmost to assist with efforts to mend and heal past and present injustices. And again, welcome everybody. My name is Mike Spencer. I'm a local businessman and community volunteer. And this is a huge honor for me to come and uh, moderate this event because what SACPA does is really um, create a fabulous opportunity for uh, open discussion and critical thinking. And uh, I think that's something that you, by your presence here, embrace that. So fantastic, welcome. Um, I do want to uh, mention that uh, the talk and Q&A today will be recorded and uh, will be available on SACFA's website. Shaw Spotlight will also record SACFA presentations and use excerpts from PowerPoint. Uh, and there will be a PowerPoint today, so there'll be excerpts for their daily broadcasts. Um, I also want to remind you, and I know most of you have been here before, but uh, just a little housekeeping. Um, today's menu will be a soup and sandwich. And uh, if you can just organize at your tables to uh, make sure that each of you that's having the meal would put uh, $14 in the basket in the middle. In fact, if you want to elect somebody to kind of be the treasurer of your table, that would be fantastic. So the meal is $14. And if you're just having coffee, it's uh, $2. Oh, and by the way, if you're a student, it's $5 for the meal. Looking around, <laughs> hope there's a few students here. Um, the format for today, as in, as in the past, is um, we'll have our, our speaker for approximately 30 minutes, and then we will have our meal, and then uh, that will take place at about 12.30, and at one o'clock, uh, we'll reconvene and uh, have a question and answer session. So. Um, we, we do uh, really encourage that as part of this uh, day's activities. Um, so without further ado, um, fabulous way to start off our, our new year of programming. Um, we, we have a really exciting uh, opportunity to, to get uh, perspective from Edmonton. And as, as such, I'd like to uh, introduce Shannon Phillips, the uh, Alberta MLA for Lethbridge West constituency. Uh, Shannon was elected to the uh, Legislative Assembly um, in 2015 and re-elected in 2019, back in April. Um, in the past, she has served many roles. She was the Minister of Environment and Parks, Minister Responsible for the Status of Women, Minister Responsible for the Climate Change Office, and also was the Deputy, or Def Deputy Government House Leader. So a lot of hats and a lot of responsibilities. 
And no doubt now she's got so much more time on her hands. <laughs> um, I should also point out that uh, um, Shannon has a long history working with the Albert Federation of Labor and with Women's Place Resource Center right here in Lethbridge. Um, she's a fabulous advocate for our community. And without further ado, I'd like to bring up Shannon Phillips. Well, uh, thank you, Mike, for that uh, kind introduction. And it's a pleasure to uh, join all of you this afternoon here on uh, uh, Blackfoot territory. Uh, and it's a pleasure to be joined uh, by so many friendly faces, uh, so many people uh, that have, have supported me and uh, supported uh, uh, our work in the legislature for many years and before uh, we were in the legislature uh, out of Lethbridge West. Uh, but um, certainly I also want to recognize two people that are in the audience today, which are two former Lethbridge East MLAs. Uh, Maria Fitzpatrick is here and Bridget Pasteur uh, is here as well. So thank you for joining us. So south of Calgary, since the famous five, there are only three women that have ever been elected and they're all here today. <laughs> um, so, uh, of course, uh, uh, last fall, the, the, Jason, the uh, UCP government uh, under Premier uh, Jason Kenney came out with a provincial budget that has proven to be quite unpopular uh, with many Albertans. The budget uh, is predicated upon a story. Uh, that story is that debt is spiraling out of control, uh, that deficits and operational spending are out of hand, and that capital is fleeing the province and there's a lack of optimism in Alberta's future. Uh, there are, the budget as well contains two very large unsubstantiated truths that are not backed by evidence. Uh, one is that uh, uh, the budget assumes that the economy will grow in leaps and bounds in the, in the coming years. Uh, and uh, that is not supported uh, either by uh, the private sector banks, the Bank of Canada, uh, or any other private sector forecaster. Uh, and uh, the budget also contains uh, uh, at least verbiage that, uh, to the effect that there's only modest uh, reductions contained within the budget. Uh, and that is a story that's being told about this budget and it's simply not the case. Some of the reductions are substantial and we are looking at a massive restructuring in our relationship with our health care, education and other social services uh, uh, programs. So let's first turn our minds to the first story uh, uh, that is being uh, uh, used to justify some of these public policy decisions which is that the, the uh, fiscal position is dire. Uh, that the, we are on track to unsustainable levels of debt. Uh, Projected by 2023, the Notley Plan at, at uh, third quarter that was released in February of 2019 projected 92 billion uh, in, uh, in debt. Uh, under the Kenny Plan, it's 93. So they are projecting more debt, uh, if debt is the issue, than, uh, uh, than, than the Notley government. We need to understand what debt is about. Yes, in, in 2015 and 16, when the, when the price of oil collapsed, uh, we were looking at, at, at a significant deficit. There's no question about that. Jim Prentice was forecasting a deficit. We ran a deficit. Um, I, I think that's uh, going to be an obvious public policy choice when oil is $25 a barrel, as it was in January of 2016. Um, 
but uh, the, a large amount uh, of that, that debt number, and, and we're going to put it in context in a minute here for you folks, a large amount of that is capital. It's bridges, roads, hospitals, schools. Uh, and so yes, you do borrow money uh, to build 244 schools, which we did uh, over three and a half years. Uh, and I will not apologize for that. I will not apologize uh, for two and a half billion on a new Calgary Cancer Center that had been promised since 2002. Uh, that serves uh, a, a number of uh, uh, patients even out of this community. Um, and so that's what's contained uh, in those numbers. But let's look at our debt to GDP ratio. So that is to say, what's our government debt as a proportion uh, or uh, compared to the size of our economy? Because the size of our economy will give us some clues is, can we support this debt? Uh, can we support 92 or 93 billion? 92 under Notley, 93 under Kenny. Uh, our debt to GDP ratio is the lowest uh, uh, by half uh, in um, the country. And now, not that anyone would want to aspire to Newfoundland's level uh, of indebtedness. Uh, that's certainly not what we're arguing here, but you do see the result of, uh, uh, of a reliance on two different commodities uh, that have since collapsed. One, the cod fishery, and two, oil and gas. And that's where that gets you, uh, which is Newfoundland's deposition. Um, and, and so, I mean, obviously, uh, our, our economy, uh, the size of our provincial economy, can support uh, this level of borrowing for, in particular, capital. Uh, our debt per capita, so per person, uh, is another measure, again, uh, lowest in the country. Um, and then we turn our minds to deficits. So deficits are the, the amount of money that you're borrowing in a year in order to cover over your capital or your operating expenditures, right? Um, under Notley, the 1819 uh, uh, projected deficit was 6.7. Uh, under Kenny, it's 8.7. So he's borrowing $2 billion more uh, than, than Rachel had projected uh, when we put out our fiscal update in February. The NDP spending was way out of control. That is another uh, uh, thing that is said often, uh, and uh, it is glibly thrown out there without evidence and without substantiation, so let's have a look at the numbers. I don't want to do too much of a facto latch for you, but at the same time, you need to have some of these uh, uh, discussion points for when people tell them to you. Oh, we, re we need to take this kind of uh, 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 bitter-tasting medicine, cuts to our seniors' programs, cuts to our education, because our debt and deficit was under, out of control. Is it? So those are the last three years of uh, uh, New Democrat budgets. So 15, uh, uh, well, 15, 16 was a little bit different because of the um, spike in the number of people on income support and, and other programs because of the depths of the recession. And then you see what happens, 16, 17, 18, flat. What you see is some nice spikes prior to us coinciding with election years uh, in 2004 and in 2008. So that was Tory spending uh, in, in that, you know, you'd have these wild spikes uh, and then um, uh, you have our history spending, which is keeping it to below uh, inflation and population growth because we thought that that was a reasonable measure. Uh, and when we made decisions around investments, those were the constraints that we put on ourselves and you can see that it is flat. It is not wildly out of control in any uh, uh, way, shape, or form. They also say that uh, uh, the NDP ruined the economy, caused capital to flee uh, the province. Alberta led the country in economic growth in 17, uh, was uh, by some measures tied and by some measures uh, uh, just below BC in 2018. 
Um, employment growth was strong in 17 and 18. Uh, uh, retail and wholesale trade uh, uh, grew strongly. And right here in Lethbridge, we actually saw about 5% uh, GDP growth in uh, uh, the census metro metropolitan area of Lethbridge in 17-18, uh, and that's significant growth. And there's a couple of economists in the audience, and they will tell you that at that point, when you're in the 5-ish percent growth area, that you're going to see inflationary impacts and those kinds of things happening in your economy because it's growing quite quickly. So this idea that it, it, our community uh, was somehow not benefiting uh, is false. Uh, we had uh, a very rapid economic growth. Uh, it was strong. We had good employment growth. And the reasons we had those things was because we had investments on the private sector side coming in, whether it was in renewables or agri-food. And we also had uh, investments on the public sector side. We kept our investments in healthcare, education, and post-secondary stable, as you saw from that graph, they were ticking along. Uh, and uh, we also invested in capital, which put people to work, uh, in particular uh, in building schools and the expansion to the university. So uh, another favorite argument is that our teachers, our nurses, and others are somehow overpaid. Um, recent research suggests that this isn't the case either. Overall, Alberta's average weekly earnings are higher than in the rest of the country. The cost of living is higher than in the rest of the country. And still we have a number of economic hangover effects from the boom. Uh, and, and so therefore, we do have, in some areas, higher wages. But you also see that teachers, for example, have taken zeros for the last four years. Uh, a, a number of, the uh, same goes with nurses. Um, that money doesn't go as far if they are earning more and compares poorly to other sectors of the economy. That's the other piece that is really important is around retention. Again, that economic hangover from the boom, a lot of public sector workers walking across the street for higher wages in the private sector. And so that was what was driving in that time of uh, 2004 to let's say 2013, some wage growth in some areas uh, that made it bump up a little bit over uh, our other counterparts uh, in other provinces. But overall, uh, the story is uh, that we compare uh, pretty much apples to apples with other provinces. Inflation, as I was talking about with uh, uh, the um, cost of living here, uh, CPI, inflation has grown by a factor of 145 in Alberta compared to 136 in Canada. Uh, and uh, so yes, they earn a little bit more than their neighbors, but their money doesn't go as far. The other argument that you often hear is that Alberta pays more and gets less. This is just not true. Alberta students and schools consistently perform as best or among the best in the country. Uh, our wait times have improved for a number of procedures. This is not to say that the work is done, uh, but uh, continue, continuing to direct uh, targeted resources towards wait time reductions within the public system. Uh, for the first four years that this was tried in some time, which was between 2015 and 2019, we did see a number of significant reductions. Uh, and uh, if we were to continue to do that, rather than introduce chaos and privatization and user fees into the healthcare system, we could continue that work. We have some of the best universities and researchers in the world. Uh, we have a, a number of different social indicators that are better 
than in other places. And yes, in some, pl in some areas, we do spend more. For example, on Aish. Our assured income for the severely handicapped rates are higher than in other provinces. So in some cases, significantly higher than in other provinces. When uh, people's benefits are just something north of about 1600 a month here in Alberta. I am not going to stand here and tell you that that's a bad thing. And I don't know why anyone would pretend that it is. Now, there are, there are kind of two big lies in the budget, and I've, I've taken to calling it that. It's mildly unparliamentary, but we're not there, we're here. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, I, and the first one is that uh, the economy is going to grow by leaps and bounds due to the corporate tax cut. Now, uh, there, our provincial forecasts are extremely rosy. Uh, they're forecasting 2.5% growth uh, in 2020, for example, and, and then they've got some other uh, uh, quite significant economic growth forecasts out in the out years, which is always a bit of an exact science, any, anything more than 12 or 18 months out for those projections. But none, none of those projections are actually supported by any private sector bank or the Bank of Canada. In fact, the Bank of Canada, when this budget document was written, uh, would have been in September, October, right, that the final touches were being made on, on this document. At that point, the Bank of Canada came out with a 1.5% uh, growth projection for 2020. So a full point less uh, than what this, this government uh, uh, proposed. We've got some here. TD is now estimating 1.7, ATB 0.9. When I asked the finance minister about this in estimates debate, I, I, I rattled them all off. I said, here, Canadian National Bank is, is projecting this, ATB this, TD this, the Bank of Canada this, RBC, et cetera, and so on, Scotiabank. I said, what happens if they are all right and you're wrong because they are just assuming that all of those private sector banks who make billions off of getting their forecasts right, um, that they're all wrong. And what happens is more cuts, friends. When the corporate income tax uh, 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 rates don't, or, or revenues don't come in because the economy isn't performing well, when the, pr pr uh, the uh, personal income tax rate uh, revenues don't come in because the economy isn't uh, performing well. More cuts will come because they will not be able to meet their deficit projections and they will not be able to meet their spending targets. So one of the reasons why even in September the, uh, the projections were, were quite low at 1.5, 1.6, 1.7, most of the banks had them at. And then they've downgraded even further. ATB now uh, uh, is essentially uh, uh, projecting flat growth, 0 0.9 for 2020. One, the reason for this is that when you fire thousands of people and cut program spending, this is a drag on the economy. So that's the first thing. That's real. Um, and uh, uh, when you fail to diversify the economy and put all your eggs in one basket, you are going to then have less corporate income tax and less personal income tax revenue uh, because you have fewer people working. Um, and this is a double whammy for Lethbridge. I think uh, uh, it's safe to say that we rode out the recession between 2015 and uh, uh, late 2016 in a way that, that other jurisdictions didn't because we had a strong public sector and we had a diversified economy. But now when you have a government who is taking direct aim at both of those things, 
we are going to potentially feel those effects uh, uh, worse than in other jurisdictions. There is also a claim that there will only be modest uh, effects to programs, and uh, I have heard it claimed over and over again, and I believe Mr. Newdorf uh, made the claim at this microphone uh, before Christmas, that no uh, frontline services or frontline workers will be affected. Uh, this is not true. It is simply false. The Lethbridge School District, and this is in the last, you know, eight weeks, right? 15 positions have been lost. Holy Spirit, 15. University of Lethbridge, 19. I learned from the Family Center yesterday they just gave 25 layoff notices because they don't know what their funding situation is going to be after April 1st. So 25 people, majority of them are women who work with uh, uh, little kids uh, in the zero to six early years, just got their layoff notices on Monday. The other thing I hear quite often uh, from this government is that the education cuts are not really a cut. And they try to obfuscate with this. Oh, it's only a small amount of money, this and that. Well, let's talk about the real math on that. Lethbridge School Division uh, took a $6.5 million reduction. It's about a 5% cut. Um, the elimination of the Classroom Improvement Fund, which was a, uh, a fund that we gave to boards to basically solve problems individually, make their own decisions, uh, reducing class sizes, hiring more EAs for more complex classrooms, uh, uh, whatever the case may be, um, that meant the removal of eight and a half teaching positions and 7.8 uh, support staff. In the Catholic system here in Lethbridge, it was a 2.75 million reduction. Uh, it's about a 4% cut. Uh, the board has confirmed six teaching positions and more than 10 staff previously funded through that classroom improvement fund. Those are educational assistants for kids with disabilities, is what those people do uh, for a living. Uh, and uh, so those are the changes, and those are the frontline workers that are being cut, and those are the decisions that school boards are being forced to make uh, at the behest of this government. Uh, there is more to come. I believe that uh, Budget 2020 will uh, uh, be even uh, contained within it more austerity measures, uh, and we will begin to see uh, the effects of, uh, uh, before Christmas, there was an announcement of 5,000 public health care jobs that would be eliminated. Um, we know that 46,000 Albertans have already lost their drug coverage due to changes to the seniors' drug plan. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, a good 25% of Lethbridge is uh, uh, seniors. This will affect them. Uh, there are massive changes to public health care being contemplated as we speak uh, uh, through delisting of services, fee-for-service, private clinics, the whole gamut uh, is being considered. Uh, uh, an increased Americanization, of course, of our health care system, and wholesale privatization of some services is being uh, contemplated right now, in particular, ambulance service. I learned from the Health Sciences Association the other day uh, that a privatization of EMS ambulance services is on uh, under consideration by this government right now. Um, and we've just seen 50 layoffs among agriculture and forestry staff. Many of these were agriculture researchers. So these were folks that were providing uh, support to, for example, sugar beet growers or potato growers, or uh, uh, growers of many of our pulse crops or canola crops uh, uh, for specific agricultural practices or applications that were uh, of use to them in southern Alberta. 
And all of those folks uh, have just lost their jobs, 50 of them. A number of them live in Lethbridge West. This is going to have an effect on our local economy. Those, that's 50 families uh, with an entire income uh, uh, that is not there to buy the new minivan if they need to. Uh, uh, they're making their decisions about what they're gonna do this summer, right now, which camps they're gonna put their kids in, how much their uh, disposable income they have. This is going to have an effect on our local economy. I wanna uh, tell a couple of, of stories here because I, I have given you a bit of a facto lounge in terms of uh, numbers and figures and, and uh, I, I wanna talk a little bit about uh, real people because that's actually our job uh, in our office with Keith Gardner, Lisa Lambert and uh, uh, our new practicum student Deanne who is here too, bring them all of your questions, comments, concerns. Uh, <laughs> but uh, um, our, our job is to work with people who are facing specific um, uh, issues and work through the system as best we can with them, help to solve problems as best we can, and hear from our community and reflect their concerns as best we can uh, in our work both within the community and uh, uh, when we go back into session in, uh, in the legislature. So here's one that came through our door just before Christmas. Uh, Larry is over 65, he's retired, and uh, he is on the seniors' drug benefit. His spouse was also covered because he is over 65. Um, she has very serious health conditions. She is not over 65. She just lost her coverage. And uh, so now they have to go and find non-group coverage at a cost of about $800 a year. Uh, they are on a fixed income. Uh, this is a large uh, a new cost that, uh, and a new bill to pay that this government just sent them in the mail um, effectively. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't help people navigate this at all. And so people are coming into our office going, what do I do? I don't, I don't know what to do. When does my coverage run out? When do I have to get new coverage? What kind of coverage? None of those uh, communications were sent by the government to the people that was affected. In other words, the level of respect for 46,000 people previously covered by the seniors drug plan was effectively nil. And that means hardship for ordinary people. There's an economic hardship, and then there's a, the, the hardship of just citizenship. That sometimes people can understand changes to uh, uh, programs if it's explained to them, if it's rationalized, if the, re if the rationale is real and grounded in reality. Um, but not if it's to pay for a $4.7 billion tax cut, because that's the hole that uh, Mr. Kenny has blown in the budget, um, and that's why we have to make these cuts. And not if it's not explained to anybody. A simple letter would have sufficed. So our staff uh, helped Larry navigate all of this. He's not happy about his $800 bill, that's for sure. Uh, but um, it took us having to do that where, uh, you know, under normal circumstances, uh, a letter with, you know, an explanation of next steps would have been the respectful thing to do. We have another uh, uh, story right before, um, just after the budget came out, Opacasa Early Intervention Society. They serve uh, uh, Blackfoot families, uh, no, but not I exclusively Blackfoot families, Indigenous families, but a large number uh, are in fact uh, uh, from the Blackfoot Confederacy uh, here in Lethbridge. They're over uh, just on the north side, uh, uh, just over the, the bridge on Stafford. 
And uh, uh, they had uh, the Urban Initiatives Program was cut. So this is a, a program that helps families make that transition from reserve uh, when they come into town. Um, and uh, a number of their other contracts are now expiring as of uh, March 31st, and they're going to have to go in and compete and negotiate uh, for, uh, uh, for two of those contracts. Um, this is uh, uh, going to affect about 50 kids directly, about 100 indirectly. The programs that Opakasan delivers keep families together. Before they brought in these programs, what would happen was if mom was away uh, trying to work, kids would sometimes be left alone because they didn't have other family connections here in town. And then the child welfare system would get involved and then things would become all very complicated and expensive. But what Opakasan has done is kept families out of that system, kept families together, and made sure that the kids can focus on their early learning outcomes, that they have a snack, that they have the appropriate uh, educational curriculum for their early learning uh, uh, activities, and so that they are set up for success when they go into the school system at, at five or six, and that they're set up for success for the rest of their lives. Because we all know the cake is baked by six years old. And, uh, uh, and, the, and the work that Opakasan does is so crucial to equality of outcome uh, for, for our Indigenous brothers and sisters in this province that this is unconscionable that their programs would be cut and that they would have to in engage in some sort of ridiculous exercise whereby they have to go in and negotiate with a bureaucrat uh, about what, how many kids they're going to serve and, and uh, under what conditions and treating those children like widgets. Um, this begins to border on cruel at some point. There's another side to this story and that's broken promises. Uh, there are broken promises around uh, the Highway 3 bridge uh, that uh, uh, certainly um, uh, Jason Kenney in the time of the uh, election campaign said, oh yeah, yeah, the Highway 3 bridge is going to get built. Uh, it was nowhere in the capital plan. Uh, a little over a year ago, our government came out with a, a massive new uh, uh, set of investments around the opioid crisis. So there was supportive housing, uh, there was uh, uh, RN supervised detox, or intox rather, an expansion of detox services, uh, an expansion of uh, uh, telehealth programs, an expansion of other uh, opioid agonist therapy uh, uh, programs in the full gamut of care. The money was set aside, the uh, decisions were, were made and they were based on consultation with the community of what the community needed. Uh, and they were based on also a broader investment uh, in the region, working with uh, Blood Tribe Health and other uh, partners of federal government and others to address the opioid crisis and the human suffering that has come from it. A number of those investments have not flowed. They are delayed. And meanwhile, uh, we have also made reductions due to the reduction in the municipal grants to our law enforcement personnel uh, and uh, uh, to a number of other community uh, mental health and other services. Uh, so this is a, a, a significant broken promise uh, by this government and one I think that uh, our community needs to focus on holding them accountable for. Uh, there are a number of other rural health care initiatives that are, are on hold or cancelled. Uh, we won't go too far into those. Uh, but uh, suffice to say, there's a number of broken promises. And why are we doing this? Why, why is all of this pain happening? 
because there was a $4.7 billion corporate giveaway uh, given to already uh, profitable corporations, uh, which blew a hole in the budget. And of course they can't balance if they give away almost $5 billion. It's, the math doesn't work. As you can see, the deficit is higher, the debt is the same, the outcomes are what they are because of the conveyor belt of cash going into private pockets. Budgets are about priorities, so let's talk about some of ours. Um, if we were to reverse the 4.7 billion uh, uh, gift to profitable corporations and ask the top 1% of wage earners to pay a little more with a 1% increase in their personal taxes. So when I talk about the top 1%, I can guarantee you none of you are in it. <laughs> uh, and uh, it, it's somewhere around th uh, 340,000. So your first $339,000, if you were to you know, get a big promotion tomorrow, uh, uh, that would be a, a taxed at the same rate. Uh, but um, uh, a 1% uh, on the 1% would allow us to stabilize many of our uh, uh, revenues and fund our priorities in healthcare, education, uh, and other priority areas like seniors and childcare. We would reverse the layoffs, we would invest in $25 a day childcare, and we would restore the diversification programs so that those numbers that we saw around projected economic growth could be boosted. Uh, they could be boosted if we were diversifying the economy, if we were welcoming in uh, investment in agri-food, in digital media, in artificial intelligence, in renewables, in clean tech. All of those areas that this government has, has turned their backs on, we can grow the economy both in the oil and gas sector and uh, in those emerging industries if we restore those programs. And we would restore things like annual increases to AISH. We would restore the municipal funding framework, affordable housing. We, we could create Hometown Alberta, a program to help smaller communities renovate their aging hockey arenas. That was all in our budget projections. Um, and we would end the uh, uh, de-indexation of your per uh, personal income tax. The thing is, friends, is that you're all going to be paying more income tax uh, as of this year uh, and as a, certainly as of next year. They have de-indexed, that is to say that your tax brackets are not, are not keeping pace with inflation anymore. So as your, uh, uh, as your income grows, your uh, uh, basic personal exemption doesn't grow and the other brackets don't grow. So by next year, an ordinary family will be paying between two and $300 more in personal Alberta income taxes. That's on top of your property tax increases, which are imminent. That's on top of your higher car insurance rates, higher uh, home insurance rates. That's on top of any new mun municipal user fees that are going to have to come in. And the myriad of other fees and taxes that will have to be paid by ordinary people because we have a four and a half billion dollar hole in the budget. So those things we can all do if we uh, uh, take uh, that, that approach to our budgeting, our debt would remain the same or lower than the Kenny government. And with that, I will uh, uh, cede the floor back to Mike. Thank you, everyone.